0: First on film and entertainment, the shops are buzzing. That's that time of the year again. Any road rage? Well, we'll ask the two who might know. Peter
1: Kraus, are people angry or are they not? Or are they happy? Uh, mostly happy, although I've noticed some very speeding drivers as I'm heading off to a couple of my radio shows, and it's just ridiculous. They're, uh, they're just having to get somewhere really fast. Well, Greg, I had to get some tomatoes. There were no
0: tomatoes in the house. That's uh, I got to say tomatoes are right up there as my favorite vegetable. Are they a vegetable? Yes, they are. They're not a fruit, are they? Some of these things are very confusing for me, but there you go. I do not got tomatoes. Thank you very much indeed. They weren't. Uh, okay, I now I'm not sure whether this is legit or not. There is a certain type of tomato that I like. Okay? So, it's the ones what are the trust tomatoes. I like them because they actually Have a bit of a taste, whereas the others seem to be bland. Although there are all sorts of options these days, which is great. Now, having said that, when they are out in a supermarket, I should buy them from a greengrocer, but no, I buy them from the supermarket. Some of them are really soft, and I can't stand soft tomatoes. So I sort of place my finger strategically on the tomato before I buy it. Is that legit? What are you oh reckon? Greg? I need him to pick. Ah. Yeah. Don't state "mum" because that doesn't help me. Go on. What do you reckon?
2: I have no idea what you're talking about, Alex. I have
0: like... <laughs> hang on. Don't you cook with tomatoes? Don't no. you eat tomatoes? No, I don't eat tomatoes. Oh my golly! What I do, I... I like them. Yeah. Okay. So hang on. You don't like the taste of them, Greg? No. Okay. Peter. Yeah. I. I. I, I can't turn to Greg. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? A soft tomato
1: is sort of meh. Yeah, yeah a bit too squishy. I agree. They should be a bit firmer. Correct. That's, that's only. Now, okay, so what
0: is your, this is a really strange way to start an entertainment spot. There you <laughs> yes. go. Uh, what is your favorite lunch? You know, presumably a sandwich lunch.
1: What do you put in your sandwich? Uh, tomatoes and, uh, and pastrami. And pastrami. Okay. Uh, and what sort of bread? Uh, standard uh, white bread, although sometimes I uh, get a croissant. Uh, that tastes delicious. It does indeed. Okay. Greg,
2: do you eat sandwiches? Yes, I do. And usually some sort of lunch meat, or else I have um, or I toast some. Very good. But only meat, or do you have a vegetable in there as well? Uh, not really. Mainly meat, and, and then sometimes cheese.
0: Fair enough. Okay, so here's my favourite for what it's worth. There are two. One, firstly, grain bread, preferably sourdough. Secondly, yeah, so sourdough, grain bread, no, no sauce, no salt, no pepper, no margarine, no butter, right? Nothing of that nature. Only avocado, tomato, lettuce and carrot, right? Or peanut butter. It's got to be crunchy and the same vegetables, and lots of tomato. Now, you don't do that the day before. You do it fresh. And then I don't mind toasting the the uh, sort of bread either. I, I agree. I think toasted goes well. So there you go. I, that, that's my combination. I'm not a meat guy. I I, um, I eat chicken, but I don't really like any other meat. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, I don't know what you call it. And In terms of fish, I don't really like fish either. I like prawns. And prawns are great at the moment. Really fantastic. Anyway, talking about things that are fantastic and otherwise, it is time to talk some movies. So, we've Thank got goodness. I... Well, hang on, we can keep on going if you like. Don't get <laughs> on me. Oh,
1: my God, master film food Australia.
0: Exactly. We haven't even got We haven't even gone into sweets, right? <laughs> okay, that's it, Greg. You've done it. You've done your dash. What sweets do you like, Peter? Dark <laughs> chocolate. Very good. Well, it's supposed to be better for you than non... I must admit, I prefer the, the taste of the sort of milk chocolate. Are you a chocolatier, Greg? I'm not a chocolatier, but I do like eating it. Very
2: good. And dark, light, white, what do you like? Uh, I don't mind the milk chocolate um, and that the white chocolate and the Cadbury's, basically.
0: Very good. The classic. Okay. And are you an ice cream man or not? Uh, occasionally, yeah, um, magnums. Mag- oh, magnums. Oh, yes, you you go a long way to eat a good magnum. I, one of the questions I have about ice creams, when you buy them in the supermarket like a magnum, do you reckon they're smaller than they used to be or is their appetite just greater? Because I, I honestly think that a, a number of these, especially when you buy them packaged to the supermarket and you buy them three in a package, I reckon they've got smaller. I, I think that's one of the techniques that they use to extract more more money from us.
2: Uh, am I just imagining that, Greg? I don't know. I, but things just passed me by, Alex. I, I don't care. Oh, no, no. It could be, it,
1: it could be shrinkflation, but don't forget there are many versions of Magnums as well. Yeah. There are many versions of Magnums, but also the fresh
0: ice cream. When you go to an ice creamery and you, you buy the, the salted caramel is very, very nice, but I'm a, I, I love my chocolate. I must admit, chocolate, chocolate fudge, any other form of chocolate, but I I, I don't mind strawberry and vanilla either. So that's the Neop- Neapolitan, the traditional, and honeycomb. There is so and what what's the um the one without milk? The um, oh gelati, gelati's yummy, very very nice. All right, we're, unless you've got any other recalcitrant remarks, we are now going to talk movies, and we we are going to talk about well, firstly, I thought we'd talk about a film that. It only came out last week, but it didn't have any previews. And it's called The Bricklayer. Now, where would you find a bricklayer? You'd you'd probably find him on a new housing estate, yeah? Something of that nature. This is not that kind of bricklayer, is it, Peter? Uh, No. No. Well, I got to say that it's an MA rated movie, right? And it runs for 110 minutes. And the the first question just who is not corrupt? Right? That's where the starting point. That might be the question best asked in this action thriller the cia is in the firing line literally and figuratively because somebody's blackmailing the agency by assassinating foreign journalists and making it look like the cia is responsible and that someone appears to be a character called radick played by clifton collins jr formerly on the payroll of the cia Mm. who lost his family went rogue after the agency turned on him and now the body count is growing in what has become an international conspiracy. The USA, USA reputation, well, it's being shredded. The CIA is at risk of imploding. The agent who identified Raddock in CCTV footage is a supervisor called Kate Bannon, supervisor at the CIA, played by Nina Dobrek, Dobrev, who has no field experience. Now, there is an arrogant agency heavyweight called O'Malley, played by Tim Blake Nelson, and he's got to nip the situation in the bud before the fallout becomes insurmountable. And to that end, he pairs Kate, Kate Bannon, with a brilliant but rebellious operative who he prevails upon to come out of retirement. He's the one known as the bricklayer, a.k.a. Steve Vale, played by Aaron Eckhart. Because laying bricks, by the way, appears to give him solace. That's why he's known as the bricklayer. And he carries his tools with him wherever he goes. So it doesn't matter whether he's on a job for the agency or whether he's actually laying bricks, which he does. All roads lead to Thessaloniki in Greece. And it's there that Vale throws the rule book out the window. Reconnecting with his former life partner and now head of station there, Ty, played by If Il Fesh no, Il Finesh Adera. On his side is his former comrade-in-arms, Patrizio, played by Oliver Trevina. Vale knows Radic, the rogue, very well because he used to be his handler at the CIA. And he also fears that wet behind the ears, Kate will be a severe liability in trying to find Radic and bring him down. Indeed, Kate makes several missteps, but... The unlikely pairing may be the only thing that sees both of them through to the finish. There's lots of violence, lots of bloodshed, and this is your typical knockdown, one man against the world actioner. Suffice to say, it's Rennie Harlan, the guy who was responsible for directing Die Hard 2, among other films, in the director's chair for this particular movie. And it's based on a 2011 book of the same name, written by Noah Boyd, and the plot well, it's got all sorts of convolutions, as a result, it becomes difficult to follow. What underlines it, though, is straightforward. The idea of opposites attracting, namely the bricklayer and Kate. So Aaron Eckhart, well, he plays Steve Vale as a bloke willing to run through a brick wall who adopts an I-know-best attitude right throughout this movie. And along the way, he readily dispos- disposes of dozens of thugs bouncing back in seconds, even after being shot and pounded. That's quite some art form, I've got to say, Peter. And Vale sees Kate as an unnecessary intrusion and, well, really works around her. Nina Dobrev adopts an at times apologetic duck-out-of-water persona. Tim Blake Nelson goes for intimidation as their superior O'Malley. And Clifton Collins Jr. is the poker-faced killer. I was not sold on Ilfinesh Hadera as head of station. In fact, most of the characterizations are single-dimensional And I'm hardly speaking about top-shelf acting here either. Still, it lays it on thick when it comes to high-octane action. And I dare say that's what cinema goers attending this one would be wanting. The plot, such that it is, is almost an excuse to turn on the vitriolic tap.
1: That is The Bricklayer. Peter. Uh, Rennie Harlan's subpar James Bond-like action thriller. Uh, is is a completely muddled affair it it uh, the two screenwriters who uh, have uh, adapted the novel have obviously uh confused are very confused about whether the CIA is a villain or whether it's uh, a positive force um and the various people involved with it um uh, uh double agents or or perhaps could be uh pro or anti-cia the whole thing is just a, a ridiculous uh, flag-waving uh american spy sort of uh, drama which uh, has no rhyme or reason apart from the action sequences which are over the top over choreographed and ludicrous to say the least i must say i i found the, the bricklayer quite a yawn and should have gone straight to DVD rather than into a cinema.
0: Yeah, look I, I I gather that when I when I spoke to the publicist about this one it was the commentary that uh, it needed to get a, a short cinematic run and that's got kind of what what happened here. Look, I thought the action sequences were what I anticipated. You you've got a bloke who, who takes out a dozen others and as I said got shot and and not more than once and got got Beaten up and stabbed, and God knows what else what happened to him. But in in reality, they never laid a hand on him because he seemed to get up and and continue on his merry way. And, and I mean, there's been many movies like this, and you go back to Die Hard and films like that, but they're done better than the Bricklayer. I thought, look, if you you go along knowing what to expect, you, it, it's just as you rightly say, a, a an average or perhaps below average sort of thriller, actioner, and I'm going to pass it, but I'm just going to pass it. I'll, you know, five and a half, six out of 10. MA rated 110 minutes for the brick
1: player. What about you, Peter? You'll file it? Uh, yeah, this is no John Wick by any stretch of the imagination. I barely gave it three out of 10. Really? Well, in terms
0: of, okay, so we've mentioned a couple, Die Hard, John Wick. What other franchises or movies of this nature would you put in the same category? Greg, you can jump in here, and I know you haven't um, seen it. i really. put Taken. Taken, yes. That's absolutely, yeah. It's good. It's another one. Any, any others that stand out there? That, that's probably, there's now three others that we've mentioned. The, the,
2: the Born the Bourne series? Very good. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, uh, well, I suppose it's not, what about the uh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover? Lethal Weapon. But, yeah, Lethal Weapon, but that's a dual dual
2: effort rather than an individual one so perhaps did it bring you bring new characters in each subsequent entry with you know René Russo Joe pesky and Chris Rock's characters
0: yeah that's true that's true as well yeah I mean look it, it just it's a it's a time passer I, I think that's the way you'd put it Peter wouldn't it 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 passes time but you know it, it's not one you should necessarily rush out to see but if you like action
1: uh it, there, there's no shortage of that correct Correct, and that's what Rennie Harland is good at. It's just a shame he has such an awful plot to deal with.
0: Yeah, look, I I now want to go to a couple of animations because they're they're pretty good. Uh, Migration being one of them, G-rated, 91 minutes, uh, fun-filled animated family adventure, focuses on a family of four wild ducks. Now, did you know that wild ducks are known as mallards, Peter? Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, Yes, who? Pardon me? You that too. Oh, did you? I, I'm sorry, I maybe I, I didn't grow up with a proper education. Is, is this is this, common, <laughs> Greg? Is this common knowledge that,
2: that wild ducks are mallards? Because I'm sorry, have, either you ever watch the TV series NCIS, David McCallum's character was Dr. Mallard and they called him Ducky, and that's why. Wow, <laughs> okay, Do you remember watching crap TV shows, I mean, good TV shows. Thank you very much. No, no,
0: no I I will do my um I'll do my maths or my
1: bachelor's. That, there's my crap television. That's far more crappy than NCIS, which Alex, I, I underfa- understand you're not knowing about mallards. You're too busy cultivating your tomatoes. The, absolutely. Yes. Thank you very much. Well it's, or... it's it's
0: just stuck to the issue anyway. Uh, oh you know I'm... look, I I, I can could give Greg an egg for that. Okay, so basically, getting back to migration, Father Mac, voiced by Kumail Nanjiani, what what was the movie that he um was his sort of breakthrough? I've gone blank for Kumail Nanjiani, Peter. Uh, uh, was it The Big Sick or yeah, White the, Castle? Yeah, uh, yeah, Big Sick. Yeah, okay. So, but that'll probably identify him for those people who've seen The Big Sick, of course. Father Mac takes a safety first approach, doesn't want his two children to stray from the pond in New England where they live. And to ram home that message, he tries to scare son Dax, voiced by Casper Jennings, and daughter Gwen, Tressie Gazal, into submission. His wife Pam, voiced by Elizabeth Banks, is none too happy about that because, like their son, she'd like to explore the world beyond the pond. They nearly get the chance when Dax befriends a bird in a migratory flock heading for Jamaica that rests on the lake. But again, Dad Max steps in to spoil the party. Finally, though, that changes after Uncle Dan, the voice of Danny DeVito, drops in and inadvertently reinforces what a dull life he has led. So off the family set with Uncle Dan in tow, only to be met by a series of challenges. They fly headlong into a wild storm and are met by hungry, ageing herons before confronting the pitfalls of New York City. They fall foul, (you pardon the pun, of pigeons and incur the wrath of a persistent and volatile chef. There you go, I've only just brushed the surface in terms of the adventures that they have. But more than once, their lives are threatened. Nevertheless, their journey to the Caribbean continues and Mac learns a valuable life lesson about letting go. I thought it was really delightful, humorous animation, much to commend it, stories from Mike White, who wrote the screenplay, and Benjamin Renner, who directed the film alongside Guglio Homsey. I really liked the personalities that the characters had imbued into them. My undoubted favourite was Gwen, with Tressie Gazal delivering a series of mighty cute one-liners that land each time. And the interplay between brother and sister is what you typically expect between siblings that don't Always see eye to eye. The banter between mum and dad, no less enjoyable, reflecting differing parenting styles, and each of the encounters the family has along its flight path act act like chapters in a book. So all are filled with drama and hijinks. I appreciated the feisty but soft underbelly of Chump the Pigeon, the voice of Aquafina, and Red McCaw Delroy, Keegan-Michael Key's voice, Desperate Quest for Freedom. I thought the production values were very good too. And uh, Migration is visually appealing, it's energetic, it's engaging from start to finish. Genuinely good natured family film that can be enjoyed by youngsters, their parents, and their grandparents, Peter.
1: I agree. I, I think it's a quite an enjoyable film about being a, a, a duck out of water, so to speak, Very and, uh, and migrating to uh, or going uh, elsewhere and uh, uh, having an adventure and uh, not being so stick in the mud and uh, remaining uh, in the same place forever. So uh, I like that. I like the family dynamics. I think some of the uh, uh, situations they get into, one in particular about uh, killing ducks and so on, uh, is is fairly dark, and uh, I think very young children might get a little bit upset by this. But I think for older children, certainly, uh, and and families uh, generally, uh, I think this is a very enjoyable animation for the school holidays. Exactly. Uh, look, I'm giving it a seven seven and a half out of ten. I enjoyed it. G
0: rated. And 91 Minutes, what are you giving it? Uh, look, I, I liked it. It was good.
1: I, I gave it 6 out of 10.
0: 6 out of 10. And, uh, Greg, what, what films have you seen that open on Boxing Day? Let's go for one of the others before we, we get the other animation if you haven't seen it.
2: Well, I've seen Poor Thieves, which you talked about last week. I've seen um, One Life, which you reviewed earlier, and I've also seen Crypt um, Chance and um, Anyone But You. Any Anyone But You.
0: Okay. Well, Anyone But You opened this week, so let's go for Anyone But You now and have a chat about I was that. I Boxing Day. Oh, sorry, it does. You're quite right, Greg. For, I, I got mixed up with The Bricklayer. For some reason, the titles are very similar, aren't they? <laughs> no, oh, you said both Lightweight Romantic comedies, yes. Yes, exactly. Okay, I'm sorry, folks. Uh, ignore what I said and listen to Greg. Anyone But You, MA rated 103 minutes. It's really a sort of adaptation of Shakespeare's "Much Much Ado About Nothing," a very loose adaptation, I might say. It's a modern fantasy rom com. So you've got a law student called B, played by Sidney Sweeney. Now, did you know Sydney Sweeney was as big as she was? I mean, I've read all about her on social media incessantly over the last couple of weeks. Did you know that, Greg? No. Did you
1: know that, Peter? I, yes, I think because she was in that film about uh, being a spy or a, a, a secret agent or whatever, and uh, uh, and she was so good in that film. Well, hang on, that, was it? Is she in White Lotus or something as well? I don't know. I, I, I don't... no, no, no. Oh. It, it's the it's the one where the police uh, arrested her for uh... reality. Reality. Thank you. Okay, very good. I didn't see reality.
0: So, and I stay away from reality. So, anyway, <laughs> having said that. Uh, there's a lot of dad jokes in this episode. Anyway, the B meets Ben. It's sort of like the flowerpot men. Anyway, B meets Ben. Ben played by Glenn Powell in rather unusual circumstances. She sort of ducks into this coffee shop, which is meant to be in America, for a call of nature. But the rules of that establishment, and this is not uncommon, are that you can't use the bathroom unless you buy something. I understand that, but I'm kind of... I still have a thing about that. If you got to go, you got to go. And, you know... I. Unless you're a disreputable sort, it's sort of a bit churlish not to allow somebody to use a bathroom. Or am I being
1: uh, uh, – do you think I'm being reasonable or not in terms of that thought, Peter? I think you're being reasonable. But the opening sequence where she's not allowed to use the bathroom, she's in a public square where there's lots of other shops. There'd be a public toilet easily accessible.
0: Oh, excuse me. You, you, you stop taking this literally. I you go in good God, man. You go into a shop, you want to go and pee, and they say no pee unless you pay. You pay <laughs> you're liking this? Then, then I mean when you gotta go, you gotta go. And then then when when you say, oh, I'm happy to buy something, there's a long queue So before you you know, P comes before Q.
1: Well, (laughs) P-O-Q.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right? (laughs) Fortunately. This is a a pretty pee-weak argument.
0: Oh, thank Thank you very much. So fortunately, the guy at the front of the line, Ben, recognises the awkwardness of this situation where B wants to pee and is chivalrous. And that results in what amounts to this picture-perfect first date from both of these people's perspectives, right? That is until B catches out, Ben, trash-talking her to his roommate, whose name is Pete, played by Gata. That's his name, G-A-T-A, right? Fair enough. After that, not surprisingly, B does not want anything to do with Ben. Then we cut to six months later. Unexpectedly, they bump into each other again at a pub. And that's where Pete's sister, Claudia, played by Alexandra Ship, introduces her new girlfriend, Hallie, played by Hadley Robinson. B and Ben proceed to hurl insults at each other, as you would. Then we cut to a further 18 months on. So two years after they first met, they come together again, this time in Sydney, Australia, where Claudia and Hallie are about to get married. The tension between the two, Ben and B, remains, and keeping the peace will be no easy feat. Still, there's no denying their fighting attraction with emphasis on fighting. And the situation's made more awkward because also attending is Ben's former flame Margaret, played by Charlie Fraser, and B's recent ex Jonathan, Darren Barnett. And let's just say there's much work, much to work through here, and with parents meddling in their offspring's affairs of the heart, nothing is going to come easily. So look, it's it's cheesy fun. It it's lighthearted. It's buoyant. Some smart one-liners and sight gags. Starts with a laugh and the smiles continue throughout. Nadine, my wife, absolutely, she likes this sort of movie a lot. In fact, I didn't find it hard to buy into the manufactured narrative thin that it is. It's very thin. But the story is by Alana Wolpert, who wrote the screenplay with the director Will Gluck, who was responsible for the movie Friends with Benefits, among others. And it's a film that will undoubtedly attract a certain demographic, because the bodies are hot. The locations are equally enticing. Visually, there is much to get excited about. And I gonna mean, tell you what, Sydney looks damn fine. It really does. The settings are terrific. There, there's no denying the chemistry. And I think there is chemistry between Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell. Now, this is an interesting one because if you do follow the socials, when this film was being shot, there was real speculation that these two were a real item, even though both of them had other partners at the time. But um, now people are saying, oh, there's no chemistry on screen. I'm sorry. there. I think there genuinely is. Each of them also has no trouble inducing hilarity at their own character's expense. And look, the movie plays up and cashes in on stereotypes. Case in point is Margaret's meathead ocker boyfriend, Bo, role filled by Joe Davidson. Brian Brown plays Ben's quintessential laid-back Aussie dad. Rachel Griffiths is more of a well-meaning but intrusive mum-to-be. It's sexy, it's edgy, it leaves it all on the screen, nothing deep and meaningful here, just pretty-looking lightweight fare. Look, it, it's, uh,
2: if I put it simply, giggle and pash on a Hollywood budget, Gregory. If you want to say that, yes. It's a formulaic, predictable rom-com. Um, and as you said, it's written around Sydney, and Sydney looks great here. Uh, taps into a familiar trope of this genre, though, without adding anything particularly fresh or original, which a lot of people apparently don't mind. a sort of, no, they know what to get. It's a bit raunchy at times there, um, as you said. Uh And it wears its um, 80s and 90s rom-com influences pretty well there. But I thought there were a couple of moments that were tonally uneven. Um, Some scenes fell flat. um, And there are even a couple of places where the film ground to a halt while it was as though it was waiting for inspiration. But I I like the idea that um, as an update of uh, Much Ado About Nothing there. The two leads are named after the main characters from that play there. And there's several little um, Shakespearean quotes strategically placed throughout the film, on the sand, on a building, all that kind of stuff as well. Gen- Jenny Ruleman shot the film, and I think he highlights the sights of the cities, especially the beaches, the Harbour Bridge, and the Opera House, and gives it a, makes it shine and gives this material a glossy surface. I agree that Powell and Sweeney make for a cute couple and have a palpable chemistry there, and it looks as though they enjoyed playing against each other and delivering some snarky dialogue there. Brian Brown, again, laid back, as you said there. And I thought Joe Davison was fo- funny as the handsome but clueless surfer himbo, um, And Griffiths and Mulroney, um, appearing together set for the first time since 1997's My Best Friend Wedding, they obviously trade on the goodwill they earned from that rom-com there, and people are willing to overlook a few of the um, slim characterisations from here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Dermot Mulroney wasn't, you know, d- didn't do much for me, I've got to say to you, Greg, but but there you go. Peter, uh, what about you? Did you did you find anything amusing about this, or are you a curmudgeon? I'm a curmudgeon. Oh,
1: you know, <laughs> yeah, that's a silly question. Rhetorical, yeah. Go. <laughs> Thank you very much. Look, it, it it I mean, it's obviously an extremely contrived uh, sort mm-hmm. of film, and it was contrived mainly to show off the two lead actors and also to show off uh, Sydney, Australia. But... Um, the much-to-do-about-nothing um, uh, idea or storyline or basis for the film, uh, I thought was hammered far too much uh, to the point where we even had to have a flashing sign near the end of the film which said, yeah. much-to-do-about-nothing. Uh, yeah, got it. Um, uh, <laughs> <It's> look, <laughs> I, 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 you got to hit people over the head because there, there was
0: signs... <laughs> Throughout this one, weren't they, really? there, really? There, there, there were too many signs that uh, many oh, maybe, of them. Are... Maybe, maybe, maybe they should have said, "We are actually now screening a movie." That would have been nice. That you could have had those words in there as well. Or perhaps just have exit so that people can leave uh, oh, before they, they have, have to experience ex- the plot. Yeah. Ex- <laughs> uh, it, it one word isn't enough because you know some people just won't get, won't get the meaning. <laughs>
1: Okay, all right, let's go back to this. I mean, this film obviously wanted to uh, uh, encourage me to go back to Shakespeare's source material, which is mm-hmm. much more intriguing. This is so uh, overly contrived and obvious that uh, it, it was unfortunate for me that um, I thought, we know where this is going, let's have some fun along the way, and there wasn't much. That's the oh. problem I had with this film. I uh, laughed. I, thought, I laughed. It so over the top. Yeah, I laughed, Nadine laughed. No, no, I, they, I think they're genuinely. It
0: depends on your attitude to it, Peter. I, I honestly mean that. I I think that if you've got a predisposition for for slapstick type humour, you might get more out of it. I I understand fully where you're coming from because it, it's extremely contrived. I I that, that's the right word for it. I agree with that. But I think there are people. That, look, there was there was a quite a bit of love in the room for it, uh, and it, we saw it with a younger audience. We've got to be, you know.
1: This is why I reckon there there is going to be an audience for this. Uh, of course, there will be, and that's perfectly fine. But this is my reaction. And sure. how many times can you fall into the water and be rescued? Um, and that's part of the ridiculousness. Well, hang on, hang on. It it only, in fairness, it only happens twice. And the second time, it's
0: uh, deliberate. So I mean, what when you when you ask that question? I mean, it, it's not as
1: if they fall into the water twenty three times. So I mean. <laughs> Yeah, but, the film was all wet for me, I, and uh, and and it was much ado about nothing, I'm afraid.
2: Thank you very much. So, okay, score out of ten. How many times can you contrive to get the main characters to get their clothes off, too? Yes. Excuse me. never enough
0: of that is my answer. Never enough. Oh, what a voyeur. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. Um, I don't know. Um, hang on. There was there was no nakedness there for Sydney Sweeney whatsoever. There wasn't. And no, well, no, the, I'm so sorry you were disappointed. No, but there was towels. I mean, you know, this is a, this isn't about this. <laughs> there was supporting cast. Yeah, thank you. That's what I was going <laughs> to say. It's a, it's only Ben that uh, you know it, it, it sort of uh, get gets a little bit in the altogether. Anyway, um, score out of ten. MA rated. One hundred and three minutes. Anyone but you, Gregory King. Five out of ten. Mm, okay, I'm being more generous, of course. And Peter curmudgeon. Uh, look, I give it four
1: out of ten, mainly because oh, of the scenery. Hang on, have you passed anything today yet, or not? <laughs> um, maybe, I passed a shopping centre. <laughs> maybe I was going to say maybe
0: a lot of um, something. W I N D, hot air. Is that right? There we go. No, no, no. Of course, your valuable contribution is is taken on face value. I love it. I'm giving it a seven. I thought it was fun. Yeah, seven. Yes, yeah, I liked it. Put it in the higher echelons. Well, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I had fun with it. I I went in there with the right attitude. I think it helped that my wife was was lo- really enjoying it too. If you go along with somebody that enjoys something, uh, sometimes I totally disagree, but I, no, I I I enjoyed her enjoyment. I think, and I I yeah, I knew it was contrived, but I went along with the ride, and that's yeah, that's all right. You're allowed to go along with the ride. Uh, sure. Now, all right. So, uh, by the way, you're on J eighty eight FM. Now's the time, dig deep, 54 bucks gets you membership. So if you're interested, go to j-air.com.au, 24 hours a day programming, some nonsense and a bit of good fun and uh, some music and some intelligent programming. But don't tune in for to us for uh, that. Is that right, Peter? No here whatsoever. No, oh, much to do about nothing. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yeah. And if you want it, hey, if you're wanting intelligence, yeah. Now let's, Um, Greg, you mentioned the Woody Allen movie. Correct? Yes. Named? Coupe de Chance. Coupe de Chance, yes, exactly. Um, let's let's talk about that. It's PG rated. It's 96 minutes. Elaine Aubert and Fanny Moreau went to school together. She was popular and he had a crush on her, but he lacked the confidence to say anything. Hmm. I reckon that's common. I reckon blokes can be a little bit backward in coming forward. That's just my nonsensical take on the world anyway now as an adult he is a writer who had moved around extensively was married for a short time but since divorced she works at a fine auction house and she is married for a second time to a wealthy financier called jean fortier arrogant and entitled he certainly is and he dotes on her to the point of suffocation he's forever buying her gifts but she does not want these expensive trinkets, nor is she a fan of the hunting and hiking weekends that are a mainstay of their lives. So in short, her second marriage has fallen into, into a bit of a routine that really doesn't satisfy her. And then by chance, orbear spots Fanny. Mm. Spots her in the street on her way to work and starts up a conversation. And orbear opens up about his long-held feelings for her. She shows interest in his writing. Right? It's not his etchings. It's his writing. And a succession of lunchtime meetings and more follows. Now, Gene suspects that his wife's having an affair and acts upon his impulse. Hmm. There we go. Uh, so uh, doing some sleuthing of her own is... Uh, doing some sleuthing of her own is Fanny's mother, Camille. Now... Okay, this is a comedic drama. It follows a reasonably predictable path until midway through, at which point the screws are turned. And further, a twist in the tale gives the story a bit of extra bite. It's Woody Allen's 50th movie. It's not as clever as some of his best work, although it still has his imprimatur stamped all over it. There's a flurry of verbiage. There's appealing settings. There's subterfuge. And Allen ensures the audience's sensibilities are clearly with Fanny as she regains her Joie de vivre with Aubert. Now, warmth, yeah, there is moral quandary in Lou Delage's portrayal of Fanny. Yeah, quite nice. Neil Schneider brings an artistic temperament to Aubert. Melvin Pupard is precocious and scheming as the second husband of Fanny, whose name I mentioned to you earlier, and I've just gone blank. But there we go, as Jean. So, as for Valérie Le Messier, she's more of a pragmatic bystander as Camille, that's the mother, until her revelations create some ructions. Uh, look, if you stick with it, you, you do have a bit of a payoff. It's, it's what I'd best describe as a pleasant, lightweight distraction, coup de chance. What
2: do you think, Greg? Uh, it's interesting that his, Woody Allen's actually shot this film in France, because he's still on the nose in America, apparently. Um, mm-hmm. but it's still revered in France. And I think it's a pretty bold move for him to shoot the film in French dialogue as well, using subtitles there. Um, I, I quite enjoyed this up a point there. It's not a breezy comedy that you'd expect from Woody Allen, more of a light drama about infidelity and murder, and it's more along the lines of some of his earlier films like Matchpoint and Crimes and Misdemeanours with their noir-like stylings there. Although there's lots of typical Woody Allen touches here, Plenty of throwaway quips and lots of philosophical mus- musings on life and fate and the role that luck plays in shaping our lives there. And it does build br- a bit of tension as it heads towards this unexpected climax there. And I thought the, the bouncy jazz-influenced score was enjoyable and the film's been beautifully shot by a, um, veteran cinematographer, Vittorio Storaro, who uses bright autumnal colours and gives the material a warm ambiance. there. And I thought the performances from the cast were also quite good okay
0: so you probably i mean I, i'm going to give it a reasonable mark but you, you liked it i think a little bit more than i did what about you peter
1: i actually like this uh very much as well uh coup de chance or stroke of luck uh, as it's uh, been uh, uh, subtitled is uh, woody allen's drama which uh, and he does it really well i mean as uh, greg mentioned uh match point um, crimes and Misdemeanours and uh, and of course, interiors. Uh, we I, I think uh, audiences don't recognise necessarily that apart from being a, a comedy performer and uh, and filmmaker, he also does some very effective dramas. And I thought this one was very effective indeed, especially with the twists that come in the second half of the story. Uh, I think I mean he's shot uh, films before in France, but not completely in the French language, uh, so it was interesting to uh, to see him do it in this way, probably reflecting uh, on French cinema, um, which uh, is very good at these sort of twisting drama thrillers. Um, I, I was very impressed by it, I think the acting is um, top-notch, uh, and uh, I, uh, I think it is very well shot, as uh, Greg said, and overall I really enjoyed this film, uh, right up to the, uh, the the twist ending. So, yeah, I, I recommend it.
0: Okay, well, it's rated PG. It runs for 96 minutes, also opens on Boxing Day. Score out of 10, Greg? Oh, look, 7. 7 out of 10 for Kuda Chance. And, by the way, it's the, the translation again, Peter? Stroke of luck, As in whips, chains and leather underwear? No, sorry. Um, <laughs> Different form of stroking. Yes, thank you. Uh... Uh, the,
1: okay, score out of ten from you, Peter. This is this this uh, discussion is turning into a R-rated sort of turn. Uh, look, I can... who the, uh, who's the who's the guy
0: who got into that? Uh, the the Shades of Grey guy. What's his name? The the Fifty Shades of Grey. That... Christian Christian Grey. Yeah, but no, no. Who's the original whips, chains, and leather underwear the person associated with that? Oh, what's his name? Going historically, going back
1: time. Oh, the Marquis de Sade. Marquis de Sade. That's it. Thank you very much. Oh. Phew. Okay, score out of 10 for Peter Jones. <laughs> Yes, I was there with the marquee at the time. I was, you
0: I, were.
1: It <laughs> yeah, you. significant event
0: in the history of the world you were, you were alive too. I, I know that. I mean, whenever I see you, I, I'm amazed that you're still standing.
1: It's extraordinary. <laughs> well, I, I just got whipped into shape now. So, all right. Now, <laughs> uh, look, I agree with Greg. I give uh, coup de a 7 out of 10. And I agree. I'm giving it a
0: seven, but I didn't think of as much of it as you guys did. So there you go. See, it just shows that I'm very generous with my marks. I think that's what it shows more than anything else. Now, uh, let, let's let's now turn to we. There are two animations uh, that that are opening on Boxing Day, and we've talked about one of them. The other one is Wish, and I suppose I mean this. This goes back to the 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 nostalgic Disney that's the sort of nature of the the beast here. It's p this one's PG rated it's 95 minutes and I mean I suppose the premise make a wish and have it instantly satisfied if only it were that easy. It's not that straightforward in this Disney animated feature. What happens is the man who study a particular man who studies the magic of the world whose name is Magnifico, uh, the voice of Chris Pine, becomes a mighty sorcerer and king. And he built this great castle on an island where anyone can come and feel safe in return for the king holding onto their wishes for safekeeping. Right? So they feel safe and the wishes are given to the king. And from time to time, the king then holds wishing ceremonies and grants a small number of those wishes. Mind you, in some cases, including Simon, Simon voiced by Evan Peters, the real essence of who a person is dissipates when they hand over their wish and further all memory of every wish vanishes the moment it is gifted to the king So suddenly it's in his safekeeping but you don't know what you wished for a bright and bubbly 17 year old named asher voiced by ariana de bose is about to be interviewed by Magnifico to become his apprentice and his and her father asher's father a philosopher passed away when she was only 12 years of age but told her everyone is connected to the stars she would like nothing more than to see her grandfather sabino's wish granted on his 100th birthday sabino voiced by victor garber but when she puts that to magnifico his mood changes immediately and he says it's far too dangerous to enact this wish because of the potential consequences and the same goes for most of the other wishes that he's holding so Asher quickly comes to realize that Magnifico has in fact stolen people's dreams to maintain power and control. It's only when Asher wishes upon a star, that light is shone on her and the rest of the kingdom, and a world of possibilities opens up. So that includes hearing all the animals of the kingdom. It's called the kingdom of Rosas, and this includes Asher's pet goat Valentino, voiced by Alan Tudyk. It includes hearing all the animals speak English for the first time. Magnifico is enraged. He plots to control the morsel of growing light that's known as Star. So it's left to Asher to continue to stand up for what's right. Look, cute characters, bright animation. It's eminently watchable. Not as engaging or endearing as the best of Disney, I didn't think. I can only put that down to the plotting that well it didn't resonate as much for me as it could have. Ash's inherent goodness, her willingness to fight for what's fair, makes her aspirational and a, a role model for the little ones. She she dares to dream big picture. And as with many of Disney's sidekicks, Valentino's given some cute lines. Although overall, I would have liked more laughs than I got. Magnifico takes his place alongside other studio villains when he embraces forbidden magic and his eyes turn green. Star makes her mark in a in a. Communicative but non speaking role, being a beacon of hope. And in that regard, she harks back to what I mentioned at the outset the nostalgia upon which Disney was built. Look, I didn't think Wish was Snow White or Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty or The Lion King, Aladdin or Frozen, but it still has some moments to savor. What did you think, Peter?
1: I was actually unimpressed uh, by this film and it disappointed me greatly, especially as it was meant to. Uh, to celebrate 100 years of, uh, of Disney uh, animations or Disney films. And what disappointed me was the muddled storyline, which I, I think young children are going to be totally confused about. This whole idea about uh, having wishes taken away from you and uh, being stored away and, and uh, not being revealed back to you or being enacted, uh, it is just a very strange sort of plotline but even worse is this notion of a dictator or someone who sort of takes control and wants to ruin people's wishes now is this a, a sort of anti-capitalist sort of uh, uh political uh drama is this a commentary on uh, on people's uh, hopes and dreams that they have to be dissipated uh, I, I must say it, it, it was very disappointing. And the other thing I found, uh, and I was, I blanched at it, was the appearance of the yellow star. Now, Is that uh, the, Del Del Puget, or no? Sorry, <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, no, the the yellow star when it appeared, I thought, why are we getting references to the Holocaust?
0: But I, and, but I, I, again, I mean, yeah, I understand. But it was. I, I took that to mean, you know, a bright star. That that was it. Rather, I, I agree. I, I think you can. I, I mean, when you think about it, it is, it is un, most, it's uncomfortable and it will be. So I, I take your point. But I, I, when I first saw I I didn't think that I've got to say, Peter. Okay. No, 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 that's fine. That's fine. But, but I, uh, I do understand yeah. that you've got to be incredibly sensitive and there may be people, I think that's an important point you bring up
1: yeah uh, exactly and also the way the storyline develops um there are some real darker issues that are um uh part of the storyline, which if I think child are often dark, let's be honest they are I know that, but I think young children will not will be a bit disappointed because they'll be confused about what it all means um older children may be able to to get it and and adults will think. What is this really all about? What are the politics it, behind this film? But bear in mind, when you say
0: older kids, this is PG rated. So, I mean, you wouldn't take a six-year-old along to this, would you?
1: No, but it's a Disney animation and people, most families, will assume that it is suitable for very young children. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a that valid point. So uh, what would you give Wish out
0: of 10? PG, uh, 95 minutes.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I wrestled with this film, but I can just give it five out of ten, no more. Look, I gave it a six
0: and obviously I think migration is funnier and better. Uh mm. looking at the two of them. I, I look I don't think this is a washout. I, I but yeah, it's um I just don't think they the story they the storyline didn't work as well as all those other movies that I've mentioned that are classics, aren't they? I mean you look yep. at Oh White Cinderella Sleeping Beauty Lion King Aladdin Frozen. You could probably add to that list. It was just it was interesting compiling the list of movies that really stood out. Disney's got a hell of a track record, a really really positive track record in terms of getting animation right. But even the best of studios don't get everything right. And um, I don't think it's is it it's open to the states, and I don't think it's done that good business. Is that am I correct or am I wrong? Uh, I'm not quite sure. I uh, haven't seen the box office for it Yep. Okay, so maybe maybe I've invented that, and please don't take that as gospel. I, I, look, I, I think it's still worth seeing. I, I, you know, I wouldn't say don't, don't visit it. Um, just be aware of um, things that Peter's mentioned as well as uh, the commentary that I had. Look, it's been fun. Uh, the the, the un, only other Boxing Day movies which we've spoken about, but I'll just briefly mention in terms of – because there's eight movies I've I said a few times that open on Boxing Day – uh, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom which hasn't been media previewed so we can't comment on it th- at this point that's an M rated film 124 minutes then there is One Life which we've talked about a few times because it opened the British uh, Film Festival and uh, that also opens on Boxing Day that's PG rated 109 minutes uh, and I th- and two tickets to Greece which uh, we had a preview of the same day as there was another Boys in the Boat preview, so uh, I didn't see that one. That's M rated and runs for 111 minutes. And there, there's your there's your repertoire. Peter, thank you very much. Gregory, thank you so much for your time. And next week, folks, tune in the best and worst movies of 2023. Always an engaging and um, a little bit of uh, a little bit of to and fro when we compile our lists because um, I'm looking forward to calling out both Greg and Jackie, uh, sorry, not Greg and Jackie, Peter and Jackie, because of their obtuse judgments on movies. <laughs> Again, it will be much do about nothing. Uh, yes, indeed. Peter, thank you very much. Greg, thank you kindly, sir. All right. Catch you next week on First on Film and Entertainment.